0: So one of the hardest things for new mold avoiders when they start mold avoidance is to leave their false assumptions at the door. Now, I don't blame this on them because all of us came with false assumptions because a lot of the conventional and alternative medical perspective on mold illness is either wrong or inadequate. And this whole paradigm change into the mold avoidance world is dramatic. Let me tell you that even if you are the most open-minded person you've ever met, it's probably still gonna take you a couple of years to open your mind enough to comprehend these paradigm changes. And unless you're a five-year-old kindergartner who's got a fully open mind, this applies to you. This is another reason why we talk about Needing a mold avoidance mentor so badly because it's basically a whole different world from anything you've heard about before. I'm going to go over a few of the common false assumptions and misconceptions. This is by no means a complete list, there are so many, I would have to make 10 podcast episodes. Um, If you search my Facebook group, Mold Avoidance Milestones, that's the name of the group, and you search for false assumptions, you will get another post that has a lot of these for you to learn from. Um, But here are a few. I'm just going to do them rapid fire just so you can have your mind blown and realize how this is not the same as what you've heard before about mold. Okay, so number one, testing. Testing your body or testing your home is not how we decide if we have a mold problem. Instead, we do a mold sabbatical where you leave your stuff... You leave your home for a while, you go camping, you go to a hotel, whatever. I'm not going to go into all the details because this is going to be a summary podcast episode. You go back to your house after a while and you see if you react to it. Now, why is this better than testing? Well, because a person, person A, might be much more reactive to mold than person B. Like a thousand times, a million times, depending on how sick they are and how much their core illness is caused by mold. So a test does not take that into account. Also, testing does not know all of the different species of mold and how reactive we are to it. That's just an overview. There's a lot more to talk about with sabbatical. Number two, that wet is bad and dry is good. This is another false assumption. The bad molds are actually caused by a mixture of chemicals and organic matter. It can happen in wet or dry climates equally the same there is no difference you could go to a tropical rainforest with 100 percent humidity in costa rica or wherever and heal and do great or you could go to one of the worst cities in the country the moldiest where a lot of people get sick tucson arizona and even in their dry season when there's not a drop of rain for six months you can get deathly ill there in just a day or two or a week okay so dry versus wet is another false assumption Another false assumption is that all mold is bad. There are many older houses, older cabins, older sailboats, older structures that have garden variety mild mold. And even if you can see it and it's everywhere, it might not be illness producing mold. How do you tell? Not by doing a test. You tell by becoming unmasked, learning how to sense mold for yourself and seeing if you react to that mold. Now, you also need to distinguish problematic reactions from just nuisance reactions. Many mold avoiders have chemical sensitivities and allergies and food sensitivities, and they might sneeze and have a headache if they get exposed to certain mold. But those are not all core illness driving reactions. A lot of this process is learning to distinguish between core illness reactions versus just annoying reactions. Why is that important? Because we can't avoid all toxins. This is something my mentor taught me. We can't avoid all toxins. So if you're trying to run from everything that you have a reaction to, propane, perfume, EMF, you know, the smell of fresh plastic, whatever, you will not have enough resources to run from the one thing that is actually really the underlying cause, which is mold super toxins such as MT and frat, okay? Next false assumption, is that indoor mold is the problem. Of course, it can be if you live in a house with really problematic indoor mold, it can certainly make you sick. But mold avoiders find that we also have to avoid the outdoor mold super toxins known as MT and frat and a few others, maybe. Now, these are not toxins that you will read about in scientific literature or in magazines or online. They are special mold avoider toxins that no one else talks about outside of these groups. So whatever air tests you're checking, air quality, particulate, ozone, is irrelevant to mold avoidance, totally irrelevant, okay? The premise of mold avoidance is that when you start to avoid the problematic toxins whether that be problematic indoor mold, not all indoor mold, but problematic indoor mold, and you avoid the outdoor super toxins, that you will regain your core health, and then you will no longer react to minor insults like food and chemical sensitivities. And all of us are amazed. We have this amazed moment where all of a sudden we can eat gluten again, and we aren't chemically sensitive again. All of this stuff happens down the road, okay? I'm telling you, it's going to happen to you. You just don't know it yet another common false assumption. And this one blows my mind. This one continues to occupy space in my mind to live rent free in my head every single day. Because uh, not only because of how profound it is, but because of how I would have never known it if someone had not taught it to me. Not because I'm dumb, but because... Number one, it's a huge paradigm shift that I was never taught before. And number two, it really is a completely different way to think about illness. And I'm telling you right now, I sound like that lady on the plane. Have you guys seen that viral video? I'm telling you right now, that mother bleeper is not real. I'm telling you right now that this one, if you don't wrestle with this for at least six months, for at least 20 minutes a day and think about this, then you don't get it. Okay, that's how profound this is. If you just think about this for five minutes, and you're like, okay, I get it, I'm moving on. You, you, that's not enough. You don't get it. This should be, this should make you speechless, okay? And it is that the goal of mold avoidance, and I didn't learn this myself, I was taught this. The goal of mold avoidance is to be able to detox in less good locations over time. What? What? There's so many things to unpack from that one statement that it almost is overwhelming. And if it's not overwhelming to you, you don't get it. A lot of people would think the goal of mold avoidance is to feel better. Well, of course it is. Yeah. I mean, the goal of mold avoidance is to feel better. But how do we measure the amount of mold avoidance we need to do, how long we need to do it, and if we are heading toward a problem that is going to destroy our health in two months six months right of course we will stop feeling good but that'll be too late so what's the underlying mechanism here it's like a plant doing photosynthesis right everybody knows that a green leaf and sun makes photosynthesis and it makes the plant release oxygen okay that's great but what's the underlying mechanism the goal of mold avoidance is to detox in less good locations over time. Now, there's a lot of little critters running around in this concept, a lot of little, little mini concepts that we have to kind of grab with the tweezers and pluck and examine and think about. The first one is that location is what causes detox. It's not saunas. It's not charcoal. It's not binders. It's not any of that stuff. If you try that stuff in a bad location, indoor or outdoor mold, your body will refuse to detox. And it doesn't matter how much you do. All of us can attest to this, right? I mean, raise your hand if when you were living in mold, in your moldy house, you did all the binders in the saunas and you never got better, right? You wanted to feel like you got better, so you did your little yoga and you put on your cute little spandex and you went to the gym and you sweat. You did the sweating yoga in the saunas and you smiled and you ate your organic smoothies. But like five years later, you were sicker than you've ever been, right? So it didn't really work. So the first little, little, little critter concept that we have to pluck out and examine is that location is what causes detox. That's why this is all called the locations effect. It's not called the moving into a better apartment effect, which a lot of you want to do. You want to ignore outdoor mold toxins. I just talked to somebody who lives in one of the worst outdoor locations, meaning, meaning outdoor mold super toxins where nobody can recover. And they were like, oh, yeah, I just spent all my money on a new apartment and new furniture and new this and new that. And what humidity gauge should I get? And how should I test the walls? And, th- and I was like, wait, what city did you say you were in? And they were like, bleep. not I don't want to share it. And I was like, say it again. And they were like, bleep. And I was like, you mean you don't know that there's an outdoor mold super toxin that'll keep you sick there no matter what you do on the inside of your house? You don't know that? <clears throat> and she was like, oh, no, I didn't know that. And it's not her fault that she didn't know that. So it's the location's effect, right? Location. This is also why if you go to a good location where there's not a lot of outdoor mold super toxins, the houses tend to be a lot better. Wow, this is mind boggling to me. I never would have known this unless I was taught this. That if you go to a, like I used to try to live in the Reno Tahoe area and all of the houses were so bad they tried to kill me. And then when I moved to a better region, region meaning different location all the houses were fine, more or less. There was some that were bad, but they were much easier to find good houses. That's another <clears throat> crazy thing. Okay, so back to this false assumption, which is that we want to try to, to be able to detox in worse and worse locations. So eventually you go off, you find a good location. This could be right next door to your moldy house if you already live in a good location, or it could be 500 miles away if your location is bad you will notice the detox just turns on. Wow, it's on. We call it the waterfall of toxins. Detox turns on, and all of a sudden, all of that fancy stuff you were doing, the saunas, the yoga, the the, this, the that, the binders, the charcoal, the organic smoothies, none of it matters anymore. This crap is just pouring out of you. How do you know you're in the waterfall of toxins? You'll know, you'll know. Your skin just is Dumping out this oily, gross, greasy, toxic stuff. You want to shower five times a day. When you go to the bathroom, you you flush it down. You're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe what's coming out of me. All these signs that you're in the waterfall of toxins. Signs that you never had when you were living in mold. And you were thinking that you could detox with treatments. Okay, so over time, you go through this process called intensification. And eventually, and it could take a long time two to three years, sometimes you notice that when you leave your good location, your detox location, and you go somewhere else, you're like, oh man, I can't go there anymore. I, or I can't go there to this other place because my detox turns off. My detox turns off and you go back to your safe location. And then you try again a year or two later. And over time, you will notice that you can go to worse and worse locations and still leave that detox switch on. The body recovers enough to be able to detox in worse and worse locations. This is why I know, because I was taught this, that when I go to a bad location or a worse location, if all this crap is coming out of me, I'm just detoxing, junk is coming out, I need a lot of showers, that's not bad. That's actually good. That's a sign that I can detox in Worse locations and still stay higher on the power curve. As soon as that detox shuts down and my liver flow gets blocked and all the detox stops, I know, oh shit, I gotta get out of here and go back and detox and catch up on my detox, right? This is what I talk about with a woman who can live in a mildly bad location most of the year as long as she also spends two weeks per year in Death Valley. So That is the mind-blowing thing that you really need to wrestle with, is that um, the goal of mold avoidance is to first get to a location where you can detox at all. And sometimes it has to be really, really clear location. Eric Johnson, who's the founding person who invented, discovered, realized mold avoidance, said this decades ago, that... Some people are so, their detox is so destroyed and compromised that they literally need quote unquote tent in a desert detox. Now, does that mean a literal tent in the desert? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. What it means is they need to get to a location that's clear enough and it sometimes can be need to be extremely clear. You have to kind of, one of my mentors described this as getting as clear as possible on the front end of mold avoidance, meaning the first three months, six months, year, two years, whatever, getting as clear as possible on the front end of mold avoidance. And then that will allow you to be less clear later on the back end. Do you see how this is... Have you ever heard any of this stuff from, from a doctor before? No. A doctor will never tell you that if a little bit of mold avoidance is good, more mold avoidance is better. And even more mold avoidance is even better in terms of getting that detox kick-started. You'll never hear it from a doctor. How do I know? Because I've been to more doctors... And talk to more doctors than most people have dreamed about because I used to be an alternative healthcare journalist. I've written five books, I've published 20 other books, I get invited to conferences for free, I get offered five-figure treatment packages for free so I can go to clinics and cover their treatments. I've had access beyond people's wildest dreams to everything, right? Now, I'm not bragging. I was just a sick idiot, just like everybody else, wandering around hoping, is this guy going to be the next one to help me? What I'm just saying is that I've had access to a lot of this stuff, right? There's only a couple of people I know who have done more than me. Maybe you guys have. Maybe you guys have. I don't know all of you. But in my own personal life, I only know a couple of acquaintances and people who have tried more crap than I have, okay? And I never have heard this from any doctors. This is why when you come to mold avoidance, you really need to come with an open mind and leave your assumptions at the door. Why am I making this podcast? Because a whole bunch of new members came into the mold avoidance group that I run, and they all are bringing their assumptions and just flooding in with all of this BS. It's not their fault. There's no hard feelings. We all came that way. But every once in a while, I feel compelled to make this reminder that mold avoidance is different than anything you've heard about. And you really need to wrestle with the idea that A, location is what drives detox, and B, as you recover, you can throttle back on location. Okay, another false assumption is that reacting to mold is bad. Reacting to mold is bad. Or, see, we have this difference in phraseology called reactivity versus sensitivity, but I'm not going to go into it. You guys go listen to the other podcast episodes on that, because I've been covering that like beating a dead horse lately. For the, perp- let's just keep it simple. We have this um, a lot of people come in with this false assumption that, "Oh no, my mold reactivity is higher. you know, it, it, it's, it's bad. I, I first talked to a sick person who wouldn't do ozone because they said that when they did ozone, it made them more reactive to mold. They could feel it, they could sense it. It was all around them. They're like, "Oh, I hate this." False assumption. Right? The goal of mold avoidance is to become unmasked and be able to sense it and feel it more and then avoid it adequately so you go into that detox phase and then later on be able to throttle back. Eric Johnson, again, the founding father of mold avoidance, said there's something about recovering from mold illness that leaves you able to feel this stuff everywhere now, he doesn't mean on the front end. He means on the back end. He means that even after he's recovered, he can still sense mold. He's still unmasked to it. Now, it might not be harming him. He might be able to sense it, and it doesn't harm him anymore, right? That's, in a nutshell, the difference between sensitivity and reactivity. Sensitivity means you can sense it around you. Reactivity means it's harming you. So the goal of mold avoidance in the early phase, you have high reactivity and low sensitivity. You live in a moldy house and you don't even know there's mold there until you do a sabbatical, right? So you have high reactivity and low sensitivity. By the end of the process, you want those to flip-flop. You want to have high sensitivity so you can sense it, you're aware of it, whatever, and, but it doesn't harm you as much as it used to. Now, I hear a lot of people, this is another false assumption. When can I just move on and not think about this mold stuff anymore? Hey, Brian, when did you just move on? Never, because that sensitivity is with me for life, as far as I know. And it's also the skill that allows me to tell what kind of toxin I'm being exposed to and to know and to remember from my mold avoidance experiences how long I can be exposed to that toxin before it starts to harm me right? Like, let me ask you a question. If you were a third degree burn victim, and you had been exposed to gasoline on fire or whatever, and you have third degree burns, don't you think that next time you go into a burning building, it would be a good idea to be able to feel the heat so it doesn't happen to you again? That's what sensitivity is. It's an awareness that there are flames close by. Oh, shoot, I'm feeling fire. Hmm. How much can I handle? Oh shoot, I feel the sun. It's, it's shining down on my skin. How much can I handle before I get sunburned? Imagine if you didn't know that sunburns could harm you and you just went outside in the sun all day, every day. I'm not talking about you already have a tan, you've been working your way up to it. I'm talking about you're a pasty white kid just playing video games and all of a sudden you go to Hawaii and you just sit in the sun for a month. You're going to get fried. You're going to be in the ICU with third degree burns, right? So we don't want that. We want to stay sensitive to mold, and that's called a mold avoidance skill. That's called a mold avoidance skill, okay? The one that I really want to reiterate, though, is this idea that we need to, this false assumption that we need to micromanage indoor molds at every little turn in order to heal, right? It's not always the case. In some buildings that have problematic mold, it can be the case that a little patch of mold may actually be problematic um, mold that may make you sick, but it's not always the case. The bigger part of the equation is usually your outdoor air. It's usually your outdoor air. This is what people don't want to hear. They don't want to hear that when they moved across the street from apartment A to apartment B, and now they're micromanaging with humidity meters and you know getting all this furniture and all this stuff, that that might not be their problem. And that's why... As a group admin who runs... Um, I've run a couple of mold avoidance groups over the years. The biggest one had 3,300 members. This current one has 1,500 members. <laughs> Back in 2003, yes, 2003, 20 years ago, I used to run a Lyme disease group that it got up to 10,000 members. And one thing you notice consistently is that all these sick mold avoiders come from the same cities. I get a new request from someone to join the group, and I'm like, oh, mm, I bet they're from... And I think of like these 10 cities, right? And sure enough, they are, they are. You never hear of somebody from certain regions getting sick with mold because it's very rare in certain regions. It's a location's effect. Another false assumption that new construction is always better. Not true. I said earlier that mold is caused by certain chemicals mixing. I I mean, bad mold is caused by certain chemicals mixing with organic matter, Guess what? All of the new construction has the most fancy chemicals. That's why you might have a log cabin from the 1930s that has had roof leaks and has all this visible growth and mold on it and stuff, whatever smells musty but doesn't have problematic mold. So you ask me, hmm, what are the sources of organic matter and chemicals in new construction? Well, I'd be happy to tell you. Drywall and particle board has horrible moisture metrics and dynamics and physics, drywall and particle board holds on to moisture tightly for long periods of time. And they're also loaded with the most modern chemicals, pesticides, heavy metals, um, insecticides, fungicides, all this garbage, all these chemicals that will, you know, make the building stay up for a less amount of money, which is all builders care about is money. Where's the moisture come from, you ask? Well, of course, you know, construction has terrible um, moisture qualities. All the plumbing is hidden. You can't find roof leaks till it's too late. But modern construction also has um, new energy efficiency laws that makes buildings much more airtight. So just by being inside, breathing, cooking, and having condensation form on on the wall inside because it's cold outside and you're running the heater, boom. You have moisture in the walls. You have Organic materials, which is particle board and drywall, and you have all those new chemicals that they put in brand new buildings. So your brand new building that was built in 2023, your new house that you think is mold-free, may be the worst possible place to be. Not always, there are some new construction that are good, but it might be. Another false assumption is that you can predict where the bad outdoor toxins are by making a bunch of crap up. Oh, this looks like it's by an industrial power plant. I bet that's bad. Or, oh, this looks like it's by some water, a waterway. I bet it's bad. Oh, this looks like it's way up in the hills and above the city. I bet it's great. It doesn't work like that. You cannot predict it. Eric has said before, it is where it is. And there's no reliable way to predict it. My family spends a lot of time in Los Angeles, L.A., one of the largest population sources in the country. And we find spots in L.A. that are totally fine. And then there's also spots that are in little villages out in the mountains that are terrible. Why? Mold plus, I mean, organic materials plus chemicals. Who knows what cities used which chemicals over which time periods? We don't know. That's why you have to develop your own mold avoidance skills and be able to sense this stuff. You do not want to falsely assume that you can predict where it is. I used to do this. I used to look at Google Maps in satellite mode and find like a campground and look all around it and look at the wind patterns and say, oh, you know, this must be good because of this, this, and this. It's not how it works. You cannot predict. You got to go and sense it for yourself. So that's another false assumption. Now, my new goal in life is to keep my podcast episodes reasonably short. So I've probably covered only about a third of the false assumptions. All right. Um... And I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave you with one last false assumption. And that one is food. It is that you can predict which foods will be healthy for you. All right. This is false. Um, You need to become unmasked to foods so you can tell which ones support your core health. And this is not easy to do in mold. Because in mold, you can have paradoxical responses to foods. Foods that actually are good for you and that will benefit you when you do mold avoidance might feel bad this is reported all the time um fermented foods um uh, wheat even certain types of clean wheat there, there's a lot of examples I, i'm not going to go into all of them but many of us notice that our foods turn upside down when we do mold avoidance and we find out that the foods that we thought were good are bad and the foods that we thought were bad are good how do we know Again, it is learning to tune out the noise and identify the core problematic mold reactions that are causing us sick, and we can transfer that to food. We can say, is this food allowing me to go into a deeper state of detox and and support me? Now, so I found gas station foods that would help me in this way garbage you know candy bars power bars yes of course i you still need a balanced diet whatever but it was surprising to me and i'm not saying i ate a lot of junk food that's not my point my point is that it's sometimes surprising and at this point i always have to step in and and handle the objections from the karens in the crowd who say but brian if you don't eat enough fiber and you don't eat organic you might get colon cancer fine that's true So as you get later into the recovery process, it becomes much easier to fine-tune your diet in ways that you think will support your long-term health. Um, But early on, it is so important to latch on to this feeling of detox that you get when you're in a good location and to do things that support that because it will cause a thousand times more healing than basing your decisions on theoretical food models like... Let's be honest, guys. We have no clue about food. We really don't. Um, Jordan Peterson, who's kind of a controversial figure, he comes across my TikTok feed all the time, he and his daughter solved long-term chronic health problems by doing the carnivore diet, only eating red meat, right? Only eating red meat. And it's pretty compelling. You run into a lot of people who say this, that they solved long standing health problems by the carnivore diet, right um and I believe him i mean jordan peterson looks looks fantastic. the guy he lost like eighty pounds on the carnivore diet he 's glowing he says his brain works better than it ever has. He listed like five laboratory confirmed medical conditions that went away he he's a he 's a multimillionaire almost a billionaire by the way, so i don 't see a lot of reason for him to lie now is the reason that the carnivore diet helped him because it cut out processed foods. Maybe. You see, there's so many unknowns, right? There's so many unknowns. Then you have the whole other crowd with the oxalates, oxalates, you know, low oxalate foods, and there's all these food, vegetables you're not supposed to eat. Then you have this other crowd, which is the leptins, right? It's that Dr. Gundry guy, which I don't want to libel and slander the guy. I don't know if his stuff is true or not. I just know there's this whole camp out there where certain vegetables like nightshades and tomatoes have these leptins. And then there's the whole crowd of food that says you can't eat red meat because it'll give you colon cancer. It doesn't have enough fiber. So, my point is that there's very few true lighthouses in the storm, you know, any port in the storm when it comes to diet that you can really rely on. And so, I really hope you're not one of those narcissist egotists listening to this and you're like, well, Brian, I'm the only one who's actually figured out the true diet. And all those other guys are wrong. Okay, give me a break. Give me a break. We should all at least have the humility to know that all of these different diets have pros and cons. They may have, it may be different for different people in their different genetic compositions, right? Um, My ozone doctor who saved my life when I was at my very lowest point. She had extremely high iron levels in the blood, right? We, we know that some people have low iron. That's called anemia, and they need to take supplements. But did you know that high iron is just as bad? My father and myself have high iron. It's called hemochromatosis. It's a genetic problem where your body stores up iron. And it's a source of early death, mortality. Um, my ozone doctor had it so bad That she was in the Mayo Clinic, Mayo Clinic, however you pronounce that stupid place, and they were going to give her a heart and a liver transplant and said she had like 50-50 odds of surviving. She later discovered that ozone helped her lower her iron levels. She made a full recovery with just ozone, no surgery, no other treatments. And maybe this is why ozone helps me so much because I have high iron, right? So that's why I don't tell everybody, go do ozone just because it helped Brian Rosner, because it's might be an individual thing to me for why it helped me so much. Anyway, my ozone doctor had really high iron, I have really high iron, I cannot eat red meat at all, I cannot do the carnivore diet, I can eat poultry and eggs, but I cannot eat red meat because the iron is is too high for me. So do you see what I mean? This is so important, you guys. When most people come to mold avoidance, they have all of these assumptions, but they're not getting better. Red meat is good. Red meat is bad. Coffee is good. Coffee is bad. The first priority in healing, and I wish I could shout this on the rooftops, is to identify what mold detox feels like in a good location, what that waterfall of toxins feels like in a good location, it doesn't mean you do sauna or, uh, or take supplements. It means you find the location that causes your body to go into spontaneous mold detox. And then eat foods and drink things that support that feeling. And later on, you can do theoretical health things and th- theoretical diets. This is the analogy that I like to use for people, okay? When people are like, well, why would you say you can eat a gas station candy bar and it's okay for you? Here's why. Well, first of all, you might be at a pristine campground that's miles away from any grocery stores and your body's in that detox state and you don't have access to all of the highest quality foods. A lot of us have the, a lot of us early on in mold avoidance wanted to be by whole foods and sprouts and organic grocery stores. So we compromised on location and we never got better, but we had our organic groceries. You see what I mean? You have to flip that upside down. So here's the analogy that I like to tell people. Okay. Let's say you get in a car accident and you are fatally injured and they race you to the ICU and they have you hooked up to all of these machines and the doctor says, "Um, Jane, Jill, Mike, John, whatever, um, we have to do surgery on your kidney, we have to give you a blood transfusion, we have to do all this stuff or you are going to die, right? You're going to do it. You're going to do it. Are you going to worry that the surgeon's blade is not organic and that it's, you know, made out of stainless steel and stainless steel has nickel and you have a nickel toxicity? No, right? If he says, um, you know, you have gangrene in your toes, we have to take off two or three of your toes or you're going to die. Now, you might get a second opinion, I understand, whatever. But if you're in a critical situation, you're not going to worry about that. Now, when you get home and you... Have recovered from all of your critical injuries and you're back on your feet and you've done your physical therapy, then you may want to go back to, you know, eating your favorite pet diet and avoiding your pet peeve foods and doing your carnivore diet or doing your vegetarian diet or doing whatever, right? So there's different phases of recovery when you are critically injured. There's the acute phase where you are in the care of emergency room doctors and they're trying to save your life and you're not thinking about you know, the halogen lights in the ER, they might have a bad um, wavelength of light that's not good for your eyes and not like natural sunlight. Are you going to tell them, hey doctor, can you please do my life-saving surgery outside because I've heard that natural sunlight is healthy? <laughs> Does that sound ridiculous? right? Yeah, you're not going to do that. That's how mold avoidance is. The first couple of years is like the ICU for someone who is very, very, very sick and you need to take care of first things first. And that is getting your mold avoidance skills, getting detoxed, learning how to unmask to foods that support your detox process that may surprise you and may not be organic and they may not be what you expected or they may be. It's hard to say. And then once you start to get past that ICU critical care mold avoidance phase, then you can be a little bit more theoretical about this. And a lot of us like myself don't even ever get more theoretical because we're so happy with our progress that we're like, you know, we've learned to unmask ourselves to our diet so much that we can immediately tell like there's some organic farms that feel horrible to me. Because I'm unmasked to glyphosate. And maybe there's a, there's a conventional farm upstream from them. And even though they're certified organic, they're drawing their water from a stream that is shared with pesticides. And so I'm like, I tell my wife, I'm like, I ain't eating that anymore. And she's like, oh, it's organic. You should eat it. I'm like, no, it feels bad to me, right? And then there's some foods that are not organic that feel fine to me. Why? I don't know. Maybe you guys should think twice about trusting organic labels. We already know that there's a lot of lies and BS and propaganda in the food industry, and there's probably some organic farms that are still really, really bad, even though they're certified organic, right? So there's a lot of benefits to becoming unmasked to foods and to mold toxins because our world is toxic. Our world... I heard a lady say on the news recently that even if you grow vegetables in your backyard, in organic soil, you're probably still eating glyphosate because... um, because there's just glyphosate everywhere now. It's, we've ruined the world. So you kind of become your own bloodhound sniffing your way through this process and not relying on secondary reactions. So, so and it's, it's another common misconception like multiple chemical sensitivity, perfume is bad. I can be around perfume all I want now and it actually smells pretty good because I've healed that sensitivity. Now, again... Does that mean that I should still spray perfume all over my body or cologne? No, it's probably unhealthy and probably has a lot of bad chemicals and probably could give me cancer in 20 years. But do you see the difference there? By doing critical care, intensive care, mold avoidance, I have eliminated my hyperreactivity to perfume. And I have allowed my body to get out of the ICU and out of the emergency room into long term management mode. That doesn't mean that perfume is good for me. It just means that that initial reaction to perfume was a lie. It was my body in a mold-poisoned state, okay? I will use that as the last false assumption that all of our, and I'm kind of glad I remembered this because this is so important, that all of our reactivities are equal, When you first get out of mold, we go through this phase called intensification where a lot of things feel more intense. We react more intensely to smells, plastics, everything. And the mistake is that you should treat them all equally. Um, My mentor told me you cannot avoid all toxins. You have to pick and choose, which makes sense because we live in a toxic world. This means that you are categorically going to have to decide which toxins you want to be exposed to and which you don't. You can never avoid them all. In a perfect world, if we could run around in the rainforest of Peru, you know, in a in a natural deerskin loincloth and drink pristine rainwater and sleep on a bed of lily pads, then maybe you could avoid all toxins. But in the real world, if you live in a developed first world country, like most of us do, you are going to encounter toxins. And I remember having to do this. Um I remember in now there were some RVs that I went in, some, you know, travel trailers and RVs that just were awful with formaldehyde and chemicals and I mean I couldn't even be in them for 5 minutes. But there were some other ones that I actually could tolerate even though they were brand new and I could tolerate the off-gassing and I bought one of them and I laid inside of it and I went to sleep. And I woke up in the middle of the night and there was a really strong smell of like plastic And it it wasn't making me that sick. It was just a minor irritant. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, this is such a leap of faith. I'm really having to trust that it's more important for my body to avoid mold right now, even if it means I have to be exposed to plastic. And it was a leap of faith to believe that I had to pick and choose which toxins I was going to be exposed to and not avoid all toxins. And it turned out to work. I did recover my health. And now I can go in that same RV and I don't even smell the plastic at all. That sensitivity has gone away. Now, I still may choose to avoid plastic for theoretical reasons. But again, do you see the difference? The phase one, critical care, emergency room, detox from mold versus phase two, where you can be a normal person and just sort of theoretically, you know, pick your way through all of these different ideas and different theories out there. That is the bridge that we all have to cross. And let me tell you something. If you get stuck in the mindset that you want to avoid all toxins, plastics, perfumes, fragrances, this, that, every possible thing, you will get very stuck. You will probably end up getting way too much exposure to the mold super toxins that are actually making you sick. And you'll never get better. And you will also run out of money. Because you cannot fit into society and live in a budget and and preserve your finances if you are also trying to avoid every toxic. This happened to me. This exact thing happened to me. I was ready to move on from garbage particle board RVs because we had already had three of them. They served us well. We traded them in. We did our initial detox. We ruined spaces with self-contamination so quickly that it didn't even matter if the rv itself grew mold in the walls but we got to a point where we were like okay we want to buy an rv that's going to last a little bit longer maybe and not go moldy so we looked at atcs aluminum toy haulers you guys if you know me you've heard my content you know i talk talk about these all the time aluminum toy hauler travel trailers now I first had to get past the idea that these things don't even have a slide out and they're shorter and I don't like the floor plan, but I was willing to compromise on that because I wanted metal, no wood, no cardboard, no paper. I wanted a metal trailer. Okay. So here's, here's where the story gets funny. I went to look at a couple of ATCs on different lots, different dealers, and even though I was two or three years into the paradigm change of mold avoidance and into learning the new information, I still didn't fully get it. And I had minor reactions to the chemicals in the ATCs. And I was like, I can't, I can't get one of these. Now, it turns out that the whole reason I had those reactions was because all of the dealers were in outdoor air MT, which is that outdoor mold super toxin that makes you sick and makes you have secondary reactivities. So you know what I did? You know what I did? I freaking spent $70,000 building a custom RV that I thought I could build just to my liking. And it was an absolute disaster. The shop that built my RV screwed it up and overcharged me and couldn't get the parts. And I had to stay in a bad location while I was supervising this thing being built. And by the time it was, I was picked up, uh, by the time I picked it up, there was all this drama. And I don't even want to go into it, possibly even some criminal activity And I found out that I wasn't as handy as I thought. Yeah, I can change a light bulb. I even replaced an RV toilet in my RV once all by myself, right? So I'm like decently handy, but it turned out that I couldn't finish an entire RV. And so I sold this $70,000 RV for $7,000. I I took a $63,000 loss, which was absolutely devastating. So what two things happened to me when I tried to avoid all toxins The two things I just talked about. Number one, I got way too much exposure to mold super toxins because I had to stay in a bad location while this thing was being built. And number two, I went broke financially. That's what will happen to you if you try to avoid all toxins. So you, Mr. or Mrs. Smith, whoever is listening to this, you will, I am sorry to tell you. You know how death and taxes are guaranteed? The third thing that's guaranteed is that you will be faced with Picking and choosing which toxins you're exposed to. And you will have to decide do I want to avoid mold? Do I want to avoid these outdoor super toxins that are problematic molds? Or do I want to avoid plastic smells? Right? You will face this. You'll go to a new hotel room and the hotel will be clear of mold, but it will have been painted and you'll have to deal with a little bit of paint fumes or whatever. You too, my friend will have to pick and choose toxins. And this is where everybody goes batshit crazy and loses their mind and puts mold as number seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, or 12 on the list of things to avoid. And they never get better. How do I know? All you have to do is look at somebody who has long-term chronic Lyme disease, long-term chronic fatigue syndrome, who's not making any progress. You know, they trick themselves into thinking they're making progress, or maybe they have a good month. But if you ask an outside observer, I always like to bring this up. If you ask an outside observer, someone who's not emotionally attached to their treatment protocol, to their fancy new bottle of supplements that they just spent $700 on and they're so enthralled with. If you ask an outside observer, is this person getting better? You know, they'll say, oh, no, well, Jane, Mary, Joseph, whoever it is they're Yeah, they haven't been able to drive in 10 years. They haven't been able to work in 10 years. They haven't. Um, you know, been healthy in 10 years. So even though that person has 10-stage reverse osmosis water filtering and a UV light, you know, reverse kryptonite Tesla coil air purifier and a, you know, Starship X Captain Kirk um, organic food source, right? All of this stuff, they aren't getting better. That's the miracle of mold avoidance is that if you do mold avoidance, learning how to perceive problematic molds and avoiding them at all costs, even if it means you get exposed to other toxins, you get better. You actually get better. You actually get your your health back, your life back. You can drive, you can eat again, you can sleep, you can work. All this stuff happens and all the Karens in the audience, all the Karens in the bleachers you know, are gonna be screaming at you um that you're you're not doing it right and you, you're missing the reverse osmosis charcoal, you know, triple Captain Kirk Starship water filter, and you're drinking bad water, right? It gets exhausting dealing with the Karen's, but if I had to respond to one of them in an appropriate, respectful, kind voice, what I would say is, dear Karen. I think you do have a point, and I'm probably missing out on the reverse osmosis, triple Tesla coil, Starship water filter, and I probably am taking in some things that are bad for my body. But on the other hand, I have recovered my health, and I've recovered my health so much so that now I can work again, and I can raise my kids, and I can afford my bills. And with all of that, those extra resources that I've gained, I can now focus more on also contemplating a healthier, better water source. But someone who's sick on their deathbed and isn't getting better is probably not in the best position to think about that. Or they're not even benefiting from the triple Captain Kirk Tesla coil water filter that they were promised would, would make. They're not even benefiting from it, okay? So please, if you are new to the mold avoidance community, please don't bring your false assumptions in to this new adventure. I did. We all do. It takes us a while. I'm not pointing the finger. But just realize that um, it's a different paradigm of thinking. And and if there should be one thing you get out of this podcast, uh, in addition to the specific false assumptions, it should be that you probably have some other false assumptions that I haven't covered yet. Right? Like, You probably have some other ones. I covered some good ones in this podcast, some that should really help you. But you probably also have some other ones that I didn't cover, some false assumptions that I didn't cover. And that's the goal of these mold avoidance communities is to kind of help people make that paradigm shift, that transition into recovery, into getting their health back. And you know, we don't know if the carnivore diet is better, right? And we don't know which... Plastics are the most toxic and we don't know um, where the glyphosate actually is because all these organic food companies are lying and we don't know you know if dry heat sauna or infrared sauna is better. but do you know what we do know? We do know that a drastically large percentage of chronically ill people who prioritize avoiding primary mold toxins and problematic mold toxins by using their senses and not testing go on to make miraculous health gains and regain more of their health than they they could possibly imagine. That's what we know. That's what we know. And it's sort of refreshing to know that because if you go into the realms of theoretical alternative medicine, like you go to your local health food store, what you find out is that nobody really knows anything. If you go to 20 different health food stores and you talk to 20 different expert nutritionists or 20 different, you know, naturopathic doctors, you're going to get 20 different answers. And that's not because they're bad people. It's just because nobody really knows anything. At least, you know, I'm making a point to be a little bit dramatic here. But what we do know is that mold avoidance helps people recover a lot of their health. All of their health, I don't really know. 100% of their health, probably not but it does work for people to recover a lot so please be aware of these false assumptions be conscientious and do the homework in the initial reading um the the very first place to start is the book called a beginner's guide to mold avoidance by eric johnson and lisa peterson i don't i'm not affiliated with that book i didn't publish it i don't make money on it it's got nothing to do with me a beginner's guide to mold avoidance by Eric Johnson, and Lisa Pettersen. You can Google the title of that book, A Beginner's Guide to Mold Avoidance, and I believe you can download it as a free copy if you go to the Paradigm Change website, which is run by Lisa Pettersen. You can sign up, get the book, do whatever you gotta do, or pay for it on Amazon, whatever. Get the book, A Beginner's Guide to Mold Avoidance, and let that be your beginning point of this journey. Thanks for listening, guys. Just my normal disclaimer, I'm not a doctor, I'm not an expert on food or RVs. I'm not certified in any of this stuff. Please don't listen to this as medical advice. Take the advice of your physician before you start or stop any treatments. This, is all, this podcast is all just based on my own personal experience and opinion. It should not be construed as professional advice.